Good morning, everyone. It's really great to be here this morning, and I've loved um, being in the atmosphere of worship here um, this morning. And and, uh, I was just saying to the lovely lady who was sitting behind me there that somehow, whenever I go to speak somewhere, it's as if God's always saying to me, you've got to keep your heart soft, Jenny, Um, because there's always something that will nearly be my undoing. (laughs) And that song, There is a Redeemer, is actually a very special song to our family. Um, And I just love it. And isn't it great that one day we're going to stand in glory and we'll see God's face. And we're here this morning, redeemed. Um, Whatever our past, whatever our lives, whatever our stories this morning, God can redeem them. Um, And so that was just such a a blessing. So great um, to be here today. Um, As Richard said, I'm from uh, a sleepy village in Lincolnshire. Um, I've only been there um, 18 months. I moved there um, 18 months ago. And uh, prior to that, um, I lived in a town called Bourne, uh, where I'd lived for 20 years. My husband, Derek, and I, we uh, led a church there, a Baptist church there, for uh, 20 years. Um, And also for over 25 years, as you've just heard, I've been involved in working with those who perhaps have faced an unintended pregnancy or maybe struggling following an experience of pregnancy loss, whether that be through stillbirth or miscarriage um, or abortion. Um, And I'm now working on a consultancy basis with CARE, developing a new ministry called OPEN, which I'm going to be sharing uh, with you this morning. Now, because of my own involvement with this work, these kind of issues were actually something that we did talk about fairly regularly um, in our church. But that isn't the same. That isn't the case Um, in many churches, uh, to be truthful. And so I'm really grateful today um, that you've invited me to come and talk on this sensitive subject. And if you like, we're just going today uh, to be opening up the conversation uh, within our church family. Um, Because as Christ followers, we need to engage with these issues, don't we? Um, And sadly, I think that this is just one subject that's not going to go away very soon. So as, as Christ follows, we need to think, what do we think about these things? And to engage and to start being open um, to thinking um, about these issues. Now, some of you may be here. You, you might not have even known this was happening this morning, this subject. Some of you might have known. And you might be sitting there a little bit with perhaps butterflies in your tummy or just feeling a sense of <clears throat> maybe dread or of uh, apprehension, perhaps for various reasons. And maybe you've been in churches or in the company of of people who are are Christians, would call themselves Christians, but perhaps have dealt with the subject harshly. I know I have. But I hope that you will bear with me uh, and that you will hear my heart and you will know that this message is all about grace. (laughs) It's all about God's grace in our lives, whatever our situation Now, when I moved house, um, I actually downsized my house. And one of the biggest decisions um, I had to... Oh, I forgot to say, how could I forget to say this? And it is kind of relevant that I downsized house because, very sadly, um, eight years ago, my husband died very suddenly um, with a heart attack. And I did have the uh, privilege of being here a couple of months ago and just sharing for our first piece of new furniture, a mauve sofa. The man at the furniture store warned us not to get it when he found out we had small children. You don't want a mauve sofa, he said. Get something the colour of dirt. (laughs) We had a large family, I understand. But we had the naive optimism of young parenthood. We know how to handle our children, we said. Give us the mauve sofa. From that moment on, we all knew clearly the number one rule in the house. Don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't play around the mauve sofa. Don't eat on, breathe on, look at, or think about the mauve sofa. Remember the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden? On every other chair in the house, you may freely sit. 
But upon this sofa, the mauve sofa, you may not sit, for in that day you sit thereupon, you shall surely die. (laughs) And then came the fall. One day there appeared on the mauve sofa a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. So my wife, who adored the sofa, lined up our three children in front of it, Laura, age four, Mallory, two and a half, and Johnny, six months old. (laughs) Do you see that, children, she asked. That's a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. The man at the sofa store says, it's not coming out. Not ever, not forever. Do you know how long forever is, children? That's how long we're going to stand here until one of you (laughs) tells me who put the stain on the mauve sofa. Mallory was the first to break. With trembling lips and tear-filled eyes, she said, Laura did it. (laughs) I love that about kids. Laura passionately denied it. There was silence for the longest time. No one said a word. I knew the children wouldn't, for they had never seen their mother so upset. I knew they wouldn't, because they knew that if they did, they would spend eternity in the time-out chair. I knew they wouldn't, because I was the one who had put the red jelly stain on the mauve sofa. And I knew I wasn't going to say anything. I figured I would find a safe place to confess, such as in a book I was going to write, maybe. (laughs) The truth is, of course, that we have all stained the sofa. All of us here, we have stained the sofa. Some of those stains are small, they're barely visible, but some of them bleed through the entire fabric of our lives. And these are the stains that we regret in the small, cold hours of the night as we lie in bed, staring at the ceiling, wishing we could go back and perhaps relive some moments and get things right this time. They may be the stains that if we don't regret, we ought to, and really we would if our hearts were working right. All of us, and this is what we're talking about this morning, all of us will have to log time in front of the sofa. Me, all of us, we need to do that, me especially. You know, this isn't a modern concept. I love it. Approximately a thousand years ago, give or take a few, David the king and the psalmist, he wrote about his need for time spent in front of the sofa. In Psalm 38, verse 4, he said, My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. But then one of my favorite verses in the Bible from Isaiah 118, it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. You know, I love it that approximately 750 or so years before Jesus came, God was portrayed as wanting to meet with us, to meet and to reason with his people. In those kind of, if you like, primitive times, God, the great God, wanted to come and meet uh, with his people. If you like to open up the conversation, and that is what we're going to be doing. Because, you know, the wonderful thing is that God promises us freedom from the things in our lives which may threaten uh, to keep us closed in. Another wonderful reading, Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. It says, The Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. We sang a little bit about this in our songs this morning, haven't we? Um, And to proclaim that captives will be released, 
and prisoners will be freed. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. I love, love those, those promises. I've thought much about how to approach today and when I'm invited to go into sort of the Sunday morning main services um, in church families in the context of our worship. And it's a huge subject. And really, in this service, we could only scratch the surface. Um, We could spend the whole 30 minutes or 20 minutes now that I've spent 10 minutes talking about the sofa um, on hearing lots of information about abortion itself or we could lead a whole Bible study on the theme and that would be really great. But today I really want to consider how these painful issues impact our day-to-day lives and those around us. Um, Funnily enough, I preached in a church last week and I preached on the prodigal son, that coming home Um, theme. What a great theme you're going to be looking at. You know, we want to be um, looking at how people around us are struggling with these painful issues um, in their lives, but we'd love to come back any time and do a training session or information evening or whatever. We certainly could continue with exploring um, the subject more. What I do want to say, though, that of course the whole tenor of scripture points to the fact that all life is incredibly precious We sing, don't we, from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. I'm so glad about that. (laughs) And it's the fundamental belief on which we base our lives as Christ followers. And it's set out at the very beginning of the Bible that we're all created in the image of God. So I want you to hear my heart, and I I truly um, believe that. There's this wonderful reading in Psalm 139. Many of you will be very familiar with it with it it says you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb thank you for making me so wonderfully complex your workmanship is marvelous how well i know it you watch me as i was being formed in utter seclusion as i was woven together in the dark of the womb you saw me before i was born every day of my life was recorded before one of them, uh, before a single day had passed. That's a promise over the last eight years I've had to cling on to many times, that nothing happens to us by chance, that every day of our lives were planned before they came to be. And that's so true. And we do very often hear this passage, in a way, um, talked about by people who would call themselves um, pro-life advocates. I dislike labels. I'm not a lover of these labels, and I don't use... Um, any of them, because I think they can be so um, unhelpful. Because sadly, we do know um, that in our society today and in the community-based context of our churches, abortion isn't just an issue or a cause. I've not come to talk about a cause this morning. I hope I've come to point us um, to Jesus. It's not an issue or a cause. It's a tragic symptom of lives out of control. And, And for some, a feeling that there has been no other choice when the circumstances of life were overwhelming, and when what seemed to be an almost impossible decision had to be made. You know, decisions can be difficult. We're, we're just working now, aren't we, with the implications. We're not going to get diverted by this, but this huge decision that our country has made. We can never um, guarantee the consequences, can we, of any decisions. Decisions can be incredibly difficult. Um, women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant can very often feel that they simply have no choice. And even if very often they're going against their heart 
um, when they make um, their decision, and we're going to be looking at that um, in a minute. I know there are challenges for churches um, in addressing this subject, and that's why I'm so grateful that this church has been open um, to it, because this topic is part of a larger scenario where pastoral care touches on a host of other issues. We need to look at marital, marital commitment, sexual morality, the discipling of young men and women, and the not-so-young, I'm finding. Uh, and we have to take into account, the church leader has to take into account um, the teenager um, who maybe had an a, a abortion very, very, very young. Perhaps the woman who had an abortion decades ago when maybe it was um, illegal. We, we see single mums in churches being commended for choosing life, and that's such a great, a good, brave decision. But the impact of that on other ministries, I, I really understand that it's a fine line um, that we're, work, we're walking. You know, somebody once said, and I love this, that a, ran, a random sample of people sitting in church will not completely overlap with people sitting in the hall at a pro-life convention. <laughs> and I think that is so true. The wonderful, he's a friend of mine, Professor John Wyatt, he wrote that we need to speak about abortion not with hate in our voices, but with tears in our eyes. And, you know, these are issues that affect all of us. It's not just an issue out there. And this is what Open is all about. It's an issue that's in here as well. Maybe in our own lives, lives of our families, friends, people that we meet, we will have come up against this subject. And we need to be thinking about it with tears um, in our eyes. It's very complex, but we're just beginning to talk about that this morning. You know, we all have our stories. I love stories, and, and I just was, want to share just a little bit of my story this morning. I hope that's um, okay. Um, when I was uh, 31, I met my husband. At that time, I was a local authority social worker, um, and then I met and I married um, Derek. Some of you would have heard a little bit of this story when I was down here in May, um, and Derek at the time um, he was a pastor, which was a challenge enough in itself, marrying a guy who was a pastor, I thought would have it all together. I was so wrong. <laughs> and that was a major challenge in itself. But the, worst, the more, greater challenge was actually that he was a widower um, and he had five uh, young children. I think we have a, a picture here, maybe. And really, I do say, yeah, they look like they need a mum, don't they? And I often say that at that point, I exchanged community social work for residential childcare. <laughs> Because it seemed a little bit like that. And in fact, I'm not really Jenny Baines at all. I am, in fact, uh, Julie Andrews, as we will see here. <laughs> and I didn't want to delay... There should be a photo picture of it. That's it got lost. Um, having children. Um, and so I became pregnant very quickly. Um, and then, uh, as you heard on that, um, the, the video there, um, I actually had miscarriages. I had three um, miscarriages. Um, and it was while I was experiencing my second... Um, miscarriage that uh, I was in um, in hospital, I was really, really distressed. I can't tell you how distressed I was. I could not stop crying. In my head, I could, but in my heart, um, physically, I just couldn't stop crying. Um, and in those days, um, they would put together on the same ward women who were um, having miscarriages as well as women who came in for abortions. Um, and it's not like that today. Today, But for those of us um, who were desperately trying to hold on to our babies, that was actually quite difficult. <coughs> and uh, there was one girl who came into the ward, seemed to be very... Sorry, I've got a frog in my throat now. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not drinking somebody else's water. Um, seemed to be very uh, quite casual about it, nonchalant. Sorry. <laughs> um, 
and breathed in, seemed to breathe in and breathe out of the ward. Um, and as she left, even though I was so overwhelmed with grief myself, um, I just, this thought came into my head and into my heart, I wonder what's been happening in her life, that she's had to come and make this decision now, <coughs> which for most people is not an easy decision um, to make. And as she left the ward, I just remember praying for her and praying that one day she would come and she would meet somebody that she would be able to talk that over with, to pray with her, and that God would use, would redeem <coughs> that, that situation in her life. Um, that whole, I then went on to have another miscarriage, um, that whole journey of grief um, and of wondering, what is this all about, God? There will be women here this morning who've had miscarriages, I know. Um, thinking about that actually transformed my life, and God used those experiences of grief to bring me into this whole new, new, whole new ministry. Um, God always redeems our sorrows, doesn't he? Um, and so it started me off on this a whole journey in ministry of working with women who are facing unintended pregnancy, but also very much um, working with women who, as well who have had abortions and walking the journey to healing with that, those that are struggling, um, of, of bringing God's grace and compassion. And I mustn't divert too much, but you know, God isn't a God of judgment. He wants to come alongside um, and to minister his grace um, and his healing um, to those who have been through that. Um, over the past years, I've had um, the privilege of working in a church in Illinois, spending quite a bit of time there, a very big multicultural, multi-ethnic church um, in the States there. And in that, in that church, we offered to women the chance to work through, um, to go through the journey and to, walk, to work through any difficulties that they may have experienced following um, a miscarriage. One of the ladies that responded um, to that invitation was a lady called Katie, and we're just going to look at a little bit of her story now. Before that, um, you know, I found 
line of crime necessarily, just um, I guess any time I hear abortion, I would get very emotional. Um, but of course, I, I don't know that I expected to get them, and I didn't necessarily have, um, I guess I didn't have a lot of expectations. And they came, and the pain was still closed, and One of the things, Katie just came in, we didn't rehearse that in any way, she just came in, sat on that armchair, and we did that in one take, um, and just heard her, her, her story a little bit there, having done the post-abortion healing group. The thing that struck me was that although she said she'd lived in church all her life, having done um, the journey, the course, the journey, um, she knew for the first time that God loved her, that he really loved her. And she knew that in her heart. And yet the good news for Katie and for all the others there in that church, and maybe for someone here today, or maybe someone in our family, someone, someone that we know, um, is that as we read, Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives. You'll have to forgive me. I must be a nightmare for the people up there with the AV. I was coughing and choking and left three sides out just to say that the happy ending um, to that story was that I then went on to have twins and another little girl. And we won't look at the picture. Oh, here they are. (laughs) And and then we had another daughter, Alice, um, who, yeah, she's the white one. (laughs) And here's the lineup. You know, I'm just showing these because, you know, God wants to bless us. And we do go through things that we don't understand, and we won't always understand everything. But God redeems those things that we go through. So why are we thinking about this today? You already heard on that clip that this is... I was so surprised when I heard this statistic that one in three women in the UK will have had an abortion by the time they're 45. And so it just follows, doesn't it, that there will be those here... Um, who will have experienced that within our church families. And as churches, we need to be looking at this issue in here as well as out there. You know, some like Katie may have felt, and I've met many who have felt this, that they've blown it with God. And so they've embarked on a life of reckless behavior. And they're still dealing um, with the consequences of this. Many, many feel a sense of grief. The same grief that I felt when I lost my babies, which is almost unexplainable. But there's that real grief. And many feel that grief, that sense of loss and grief, of anger and of unworthiness, and of a spiritual separation from God. And we could go on and on, and yet they and often their partners may be sitting in church week by week, feeling that they have a hidden shame which can't be talked about, that church is the last place that they can talk about it. And actually, I believe, I'm sure you do, that this should be the first place um, that we can talk um, about these things. I've really discovered, recently discovered um, the writings of Barbara Brown Taylor. Some of you may know some of her books. And she's an Episcopal, Episcopal priest who actually decided to leave her clergy position in the States because of the church's, what she perceived to be the church's failure to administer grace. And she wrote, one thing that always troubled me was the way people disappeared from church when their lives were breaking down. 
Separation and divorce were the most common explanations for long absences, but so were depression, alcoholism, job loss, and mortal illness. One new widow told me that she couldn't come to church because she started crying the moment she sat down in a pew. A young man freshly diagnosed with AIDS said he stayed away because he was too frightened to answer questions and too angry to sing hymns. I understood their reasoning, but I was sorry that church did not strike wounded souls as a place they could bring the dark fruits of their equally dark nights. You know, our heart is for church to be seen as just that place. Um, The writer to the Hebrews, I love this little version um, of that verse, he writes, say that no one misses the grace of God. And that's our desire this morning. You know, someone wrote, if only we would all grieve um, over our own sins as much as women who grieve their abortions. And that's been my experience, such a privilege to be taken, women and partners, through this whole process of coming into God's restoration. So how can we find ways to engage um, with the community and with our church in the church context on these issues? Well, you know, the church already has the answer. We work, don't we, in a culture of grace, or we should do. I'm sure we do here. Um, We are God's means of grace to a hurting world. And sometimes we have no idea of the experiences of the situations that some people have found themselves in when they have have had to make almost impossible um, decisions. So how can we bring about um, a change? You know, we can offer good ethical teaching. We do have a slide here. Um, Which, in a way, is funny. It is funny. But also, I think it's quite poignant because, you know, in the world today, and and my time is rushing on, we we know, or we should know, all about the mechanics, if you like. We know all about the condom. Our kids in school have so much information. Actually, they don't always know so much. But we know about the mechanics, don't we, of relationships and sex. and, and, uh, And yet, so many people in our society today, they know nothing about the patio. They have no foundation Um, on which to make good decisions. You know, we're into third, fourth generations of families without a father figure and without any good influence in their lives. And we need to be teaching. Um, As a church family, what do we think um, about these issues? You know, I love local church. We worked for years building local church, and this is not a down in any way on local church um, this morning. And I was speaking at a centre fairly recently down in Ashford in Kent, this kind of talk, um, and somebody came up to me after, and she said, Jenny, yeah, sometimes as a church we're not so great, but I just want to tell you about my daughter. And she said that her daughter, many years ago, um, very involved in the church and the youth work there, um, and she'd been raped. Um, and she'd become pregnant as a result of that rape, which doesn't often happen, but of course it does happen. Um, and she'd had a lot of pressure from people in the church and out of the church to think about having an abortion. But for her... According to her heart, she felt that wasn't something she could do. And so she decided to carry on um, with the pregnancy. Um, And she had a little girl. But this mother um, said to me that the minute she made that decision, she said, Jenny, that baby became the church baby. (laughs) And she said, we didn't buy a nappy. We never bought any equipment. The whole church just rallied around. And she said at the baby's dedication service, when we were asked who was going to bring up this this child, I always cry when I tell this story, um, the whole church stood that they were going to bring up the child. And that's how it should be. And we need to be thinking, what would we do in certain situations if we had a young couple really excited to be pregnant and then discovered that the baby had a fetal abnormality? As a church, before the crisis hits, let's talk about 
What would we do? What do we think about that? Let's begin to think um, some of those issues through. And then the other way that we can help, of course, as well, is to offer God's grace and compassionate understanding for those who have experienced um, abortion and bring them through uh, to a place um, of healing. So moving, uh, so we are absolutely going to be doing that here in King's Church, um, and you will be hearing more about this when I finish speaking, but we're going to be running a group, a post-abortion healing group as part of your um, small group program, and myself, I'm going to be traveling down with a lovely, lovely colleague of mine, Judy, and we're going to be leading that group, and you'll be hearing more about that afterwards. We also hold miscarriage healing retreats. There are some cards at the back. If any of you have experienced that or know somebody who has, please do take a card. And also, we have post-abortion healing retreats where for some people, it suits better to just carve time out and to go away for a weekend and to work through that experience. So lots um, of options there. Please do take some of that information. I just want to finish with reading... Um, uh, just a short quote uh, from Jeff Lucas. Some of you probably will know Jeff Lucas. Um, I know him quite well. Um, And he wrote in one of his books, Grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. He, He was quoting one of the old hymns that we used to sing. Heaven with the echo shall resound, and all the world will hear. And then Jeff goes on to write, God has always created beautiful music through broken people. How desperately the world needs to hear the charming sound that is grace. There's no shortage of harsh music on this planet, but rather a famine of real music. God longs for the lilting melody of his love to be heard, true music to the ears of those who have ears to hear it. I love that. Let's create true music, the true music of grace here today. You know, we all need to spend time in front of the sofa. We all have regrets um, in our lives, and, but God wants to redeem those. Um, another lady that responded um, to that first invitation in the church in Illinois, and very courageously, I wish I had time to tell you her story, I haven't, came and came on um, the, our first post-abortion healing group. Um, she worked through some incredibly deep and painful things. Um, and one day I went to visit her um, in the small town outside of the city where the church was, and as I drove into the town... Um, Across the road, there was a huge sign, a huge banner, and on it, it said, abortion stops a beating heart. I'm sure had probably been put there by some well-meaning Christians. But actually, as I drove past that, I thought, my word, um, my friend, has has this just been put up? She's never mentioned that to me. However, has she coped with having to read that, carrying her own grief every time she drove in and out of her town? And, And I rang her, and she said, Jenny, that's been up there for years. I've just had to harden my heart. And then she emailed me a little bit later, uh, and she said, Jenny, you know that sign that you saw that said abortion stops a beating heart? Well, here's a a thought one step further. Yes, abortion stops a beating heart, but who will care for the heart that remains beating but broken? And brothers and sisters, I want to say this morning, that is us, that God calls us to care for hearts that have been on painful journeys, and they remain beating but broken, and he wants to bring his healing um, and his restoration into those lives. Do we know this morning, do we know that it is well with our souls? That is our desire, isn't it, for those um, that we're going to be coming into contact with. Shall we pray?
You know, whatever your situation today, God has your life in his hands. None of us is, are here by chance um, this morning. And abortion may be a painful part of your story. It may be a painful part of a daughter, of a sister, of a mother, of a friend um, that you know. And perhaps God is wanting to address this. It takes huge courage. And, you know, I just feel you may be saying today, I can't do this because I am not. But God wants to say today, you can because I am. And so we invite you today to receive God's healing and his grace. Perhaps pray, consider coming to a group, perhaps consider coming to a retreat. People that we may know, let's pray today for them. Maybe God is calling you to have a voice in this whole area of work and to reach out in grace to those who may only have heard condemnation um, from those in the church. If you'd like to pray, I'm going to have to go off very quickly to Hazelmere, um, but Ruth and Linda, they're going to be um, at a stand at the back there. Please do, if you'd like to go and talk um, and to share, do take the leaflet, please do go. But Father, just now I pray for any, for any Lord, I might, there's things that may have been stirred this morning, I pray now for your peace and for your healing and for courage to begin walking this journey. In Jesus' name.